for our COBT friends, it's Maynard, Mike, and Brett here with something really special. In fact, it's a special edition. I want to welcome Jimmy Glotfelty. Uh, Jimmy is on the Public Utility Commission in Texas. He was appointed by the governor in 2021. He's got a long career in energy policy, uh, energy business. He, he's got a, um, a lot to talk about today. But in particular, one of the things we're lucky to have him talk about is recently Governor Abbott put him in charge of a group, of a committee, really, to come back and tell the governor, how do we make nuclear a reality in Texas? So he's going to tell us all about it. Uh, he's a longtime friend and, as I say, a, a longtime participant in the energy markets and energy policy. Jimmy, we're delighted to have you. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, and this is a, this is a real unique moment. Uh, Brett's over in Charlotte. I'm in Denver for Startup Week. Mike is in an undisclosed location in the Gulf of Mexico. And Jimmy is there in Veriton headquarters in Houston. So this is, uh, this is quite fun. I'm holding down your fort for you. And we can't think of anybody better. There's been a change. Jimmy is now in charge of Veriton. Um, <laughs> Mike, before we jump in with Jimmy, what would you tell us about the markets or anything on the screen or in the news that you think is worth highlighting? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a, a couple things worth highlighting. I mean, right now, I think the biggest issue affecting the market, and the market's down around three or 400 points uh, today, and it's sat down for the week about anywhere from 3 to 5% went on, you know, depending on what industry you look at. And the reason why is uh, the Fed, obviously, they met on Thursday. They kept rates unchanged. Wednesday, uh, they, I guess. Yeah, it was Wednesday. And, and what they did signal is that uh, you know, they probably would raise again. But the one thing that they said that, that really impacted the market, they said that they're going to keep rates higher for longer. And I think most people expect that they might be cutting early next year. And that seems like that's not going to be the case. And so you have the 10-year bond right now almost at four and a half percent. It's up about 30 basis points over the last three or four weeks. And that's a pretty, pretty strong move. And so the markets uh, were kind of brushing that aside. And right now it's impacting markets. So you have a, you know, you have people basically fleeing equities. Bonds are getting crushed right now. And so that's the status of uh, sort of the big macro play that's going on right now. I'd say from a crude oil standpoint, crude oil has held up pretty well. You know, intra-week, uh, this week, uh, we got it as high as $96, $97 in brand, around $93, $94 on uh, WTI. Right now, WTI is holding right around $90. And given all the stuff that's going on in bond market and equity markets, I think that's pretty good. And the reason why we're holding in there well is the Saudis are being very, very vigilant. They're going to keep a holding production where it's at, number one. Number two, crude oil inventory numbers are coming in really good. Cushing numbers are getting really, really low. I rule around 22, 23 million barrels. We're probably going to draw another million or, or so this next week. And so we're starting to get to lower levels. And so that's really keeping markets physically tight, keeping the screen tight as well. And so that's what's going on in the uh, crude oil markets. From an equity standpoint, we just talked about that a lot of pressure on the equity market uh, because of bonds. But three or four things that I see in the equity markets we're going to have to deal with. A, you know, obviously interest rates. We just talked about that. B, crude oil is a $90 plus. It's going to create some inflationary uh, issues uh, in the next couple of months. Uh, the third thing is, you know, this government shutdown keeps looming out there. We'll see if we have something happen on that front. Uh, fourth, you know, you see the UAW is still out there striking. I think, you know, what are the repercussions of that going to be longer term? And I think the last thing, just from an equity standpoint, you've seen like two really high profile, you know, uh, IPOs. That being arm holdings, which really went, you know, was going, you know, went crazy when it came out there, was up 50, 60, 70%. Uh, and then you had, you know, a day or two ago, Instacart came out. 
the point I'm going to make is those stocks did really, really well. Now they're trading below their IPO pricing range. And that's a really, really bad sign for equity markets. I think people are really excited that they were doing initially well. They're now below well, at or below their offering price. And so that's a bad sign for the equity markets at this point in time. So all this is just kind of weighing on mm. markets at this point in time. So that's what I'm thinking uh, we, we need to think about next week and in following weeks. You know, Mike, also listening to you, when you blend together some of that news, it looks like cost of labor going forward, going up, cost of energy going forward, likely going up, cost of capital going forward, likely up. At least those three things are on the screen right now. And uh, those usually aren't good for stocks, obviously. And, and, we, and we didn't say anything about this, but it, it goes back to the point we've been talking about for a very long time. You've heard me say this. This energy transition is going to be inflationary. You're seeing it uh, with the auto companies having to wait, you know, raise their wages. You're seeing UPS having to raise their wages. And what we also saw this week is the UK decide that, you know what, we're going to really kind of take a pause on our rollout of, uh, you know, EVs, you know, having EV sales, uh, you sort of mandatory ICE sales uh, basically going away in 2030. They've pushed that out to 2035. So I think there's some realism, uh, you know, uh, creeping into the market, but, but, the, but you, you said it, Maynard. This is inflationary, and we have to worry about that, and that's what the markets are really concerned with. Fred, I was with you uh, uh, Monday in New York. Uh, Climate Week was this week. Uh, we did some nuclear things. We're going to get into some great nuclear things with Jimmy, but anything you would throw into the hat from Climate Week, nuclear news or otherwise? Well, I don't think there's really a big – been a lot of big announcements. We were really – at uh, the a really interesting event at the Atlantic Council was hosting next to Climate Week and the UN General Assembly meeting in uh, New York earlier this week, or excuse me, earlier last week. Um, the 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 Emirati's Nuclear Energy Corporation was a huge sponsor around this event, and we heard a lot around sort of the the dichotomy between the successes happening in the UAE, as well as sort of some of the challenges that we're looking at in terms of, you know, bifurcations of markets, as well as looking at opportunities around uh, deploying future nuclear technology. So I think a lot of what we even saw and sat around and listened to on Monday. So a lot of the questions and the discussion that the groups that uh, the commissioner is is looking to work with and work on together around. And I think it all is very interesting that, uh, you know, numerous groups, the international groups, groups adjacent to, uh, you know, New York City Climate Week, as well as, you know, sort of a thoughtful work working group at, within the Texas state government are all asking these same similar questions. No, it is. Uh, nuclear is fascinating. That's just one of the reasons uh, we're so excited to have you, uh, Jimmy, with us. Uh, but there's a whole host of others. I mean, power is the topic in today's world. Everybody's watching, watching it, thinking about it. Uh, let me just uh, say again, we're delighted to have you. Um, uh, it's a busy time uh, for you. Not that it wasn't already, but tell us a little bit about um, uh, what the governor's asked you to do and uh, and how you're thinking about the world right now. Uh, thanks, Maynard. Um, so the governor uh, was looking ahead, saying, how do we get this state um uh, primed to, to host nuclear power plants again. Um, obviously, we are one that uh, we've got a competitive power market. We've got uh, a lot of uh, energy that we produce here in the state of all different kinds. Um, but we also know that uh, there are challenges. We've heard from other states. We've heard from companies that 
building a big capital cost project, um, maybe our market design isn't just right for that. Um, and then we've got uh, to help fill this void of uh, workforce supply chain. You know, many of the things that have gone away over the last 20 years um, that we have here, but they haven't been focused on nuclear. So part of this is to wrap that up, develop a, a story about what we have and what is going for Texas, why we want to be the leader in this space, find the areas that we can make state changes to uh, and address them in the next legislative session, and find the partnerships that are necessary to um, make real projects happen in this state. And uh, those three things, I think, if we can be successful there, um, we'll, we're going we're gonna to leapfrog some of the other states. Um, we know some of the other states, um, they have different structures. They have, uh, they have uh, different plans in place. But we think uh, we've got a lot going for us in Texas. And we think that with our high technology growth, uh, the power quality needs of the semiconductor industry, the, the the amazing expertise of the oil and gas sector and how they can build things in a modular way. Uh, we can learn a lot and we can be the center of this space. Uh, and that's what our goal is to give the governor the roadmap for that. You know, and, it, and it's really interesting that uh, as you think about it, the governor didn't say, um, hey, Jimmy, help me with uh, reliable uh, you know, reasonably priced, uh, uh, dependable power. You know, it's not a broad, he said nuclear. Tell me how we do the nuclear flavor, which um, in a way that seems, it really, it, it pushes you to ask really specific hard questions and to get Gosh. real results. So I think he's kind of be, to be commended for zeroing in on that flavor. Yeah, I, I think generally speaking, um, we've been trying to solve the dispatchable resource um, mm -hmm. issue for the last two years. So what is the dispatchable resource of the future in Texas that we can pair with our wind? We, we can pair up with our wind and solar and batteries and have a strong electric power system for economic growth for decades to come. Um, first and foremost on the governor's uh, plate is we have to solve uh, and ensure that uh, these technologies are safe and secure for the communities that would actually adopt them. Um, so we'll be looking at those, making sure that uh, we have communities that are interested in having these resources and educate them on uh, what that means to have a small reactor there. Um, obviously, we've got uh, lots of different generations that have been uh, that are in the workforce and that are, you know, around our state now since Three Mile Island. And the and the thoughts uh, about safety and security are different now. So we need to go find those. We need to go adopt those. We need to go um, make sure that the this type of technology has a place in our future. And I and I think the 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 primary reason here is because it's low carbon, which is not a huge seller in Texas. But it is for the world. And if we can uh, become the supply chain corner for a lot of these components and labor, then we are benefiting ourselves and our power markets and our environment. And we are creating economic growth and development within our state. So it's, it's really a multi-pronged story that if we're successful on this front end, it could really be economic development for decades. 
And, and as I think about nuclear, I know, uh, Brett, you'll get in here, but uh, uh, Governor Lee in, in Tennessee, I know, has, has been an advocate. Uh, Governor uh, Youngkin in Virginia. There's, there's a few places where uh, this is starting to come up. Are there, are there others that come to mind, either Jimmy or Brett, where other states are leaning in and saying, how do we make nuclear in particular? Um, how do we make ourselves more hospitable to, to nuclear development? Well, so, so I looked at the uh, NEI came out, the Na- Nuclear Energy Institute came out with a report. Uh, they listed all of the states and all of the uh, uh, mechanisms that they uh, each state has done over the last maybe 15 years. Um, really, Virginia and Tennessee and Wyoming are the ones that uh, I think are taking affirmative actions to solve, uh, to, to position themselves um, and they're very logical as to why. Uh, uh, Virginia has a massive data center um, industry. So a firm 24-7 clean resource is something that could power them for the future. Tennessee, very unique with the Tennessee Valley Authority, longtime nuclear operator, has a built-in rate base that they can mitigate some risk or manage risk better than others. Uh, they're in seven states. Um, and Wyoming, I, I say Wyoming is, uh, they passed a lot of bills, uh, primarily because they have to, they have to make themselves attractive because they don't have all the industry and they don't have all the load growth that, uh, these other, uh, regions have. So, uh, and I think Texas, I think we have all of that. We've got the data centers. We've got the, we've got so much to offer, uh, as well as a can do attitude at building big projects. And, and Texas has the, um, I think what, one of the things that's unique about Texas is um, it, it's drawing so many industries from other states and really globally. Uh, one of the things that we talk about with the uh, the IRA, uh, Jimmy, is it seems like uh, you know the Texas Gulf Coast is going to become the global capital of kind of uh, almost everything you can think of, and so uh, almost that region alone would justify we, we've got to do something dramatic to add more reliable power. Maynard, I think you're right. And uh, and what that gives us on the Gulf Coast are the ability to work with companies that understand how to build and execute on large projects. Um, it's I think it's a great story that Dow and X Energy are working. X Energy on obviously the new technology, but Dow has been building mega projects for decades. They understand the discipline. They understand the process to get projects done on time, on budget, and how that affects their global market share. So uh, pushing some of that discipline into this nuclear space, I think, is really really valuable. And as you said, along the Gulf Coast, we're going to have all of those technologies, whether they be industrial, oil and gas, LNG, uh, CCS, car, uh, hydrogen, I mean, it becomes the melting pot for why can't we do this or we must do this along the Gulf Coast. You know, and I was thinking, uh, Jimmy, we'll, we'll attach it to the um, uh, to the podcast here. But uh, the letter that the governor wrote where he says, I'm going to ask Jimmy to do this. It's to me, you're a policy expert, but to me, it's a kind of an interesting letter because he just says, uh, hey, we got a job to do and I'm going to ask one person. Uh, you know, I'm going to ask this guy uh, to help us get organized. Um, so it, it's uh, it's cool. And and now, but now you got a really big job. I mean, tell us a little bit about the the history, the phone call, the how did this come together that the governor asked you to do this? 
Well, I, I think there it's been a it's been uh, a long time coming. This has been an issue that's been on his mind for a long time, and as he's had discussions with uh, all different types of folks in the power business over the last two years since Winter Storm Uri, this has been something that. Uh, he, as well as other uh, Republicans, have said we need to adopt this type of a resource. And after looking into it, the question is really just sitting right there in front of us. Why isn't Texas the leader in this space? And, um, you know, I think that uh, he wants to uh, not only make sure that our system, our power system is uh, reliable and clean in the future, but he wants to m make sure that we have great resources for decades to come. So uh, there, there are only a handful of those that uh, can can fit that niche, and this is one of them. You, you know, one of the things we've been struck by, Jimmy, um, as we've uh, you know kind of roamed all the nuclear issues, on the political side, it is a flavor that seems to draw both sides. You know, perhaps sometimes for, for different reasons, as you mentioned, uh, you know, there's one group that it's really focused on uh, climate. It's another group that's maybe focused on economic security or, 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 or power reliability for whatever reason. But nuclear is just drawing, drawing more and more support from uh, from both sides of the aisles. At least it seems that way. Is that the way you perceive it? That, that is the way I perceive it. And and I do think they're for two different reasons. One of them is for national security. One of them is for energy security or climate security. And I think for whatever reason, you get both in this type of a resource. So um, it, it, if, in fact, that is what we get, then we need to work together to to put the mechanisms in place to allow it to flourish. Well, now let's let's jump to really, um, I mean, we were so excited to talk to you about this. This whole thing is fascinating. Uh, but also, you know, we want to help you with this. And um, and so hel helping you publicize what you're doing, how you're thinking, that's part of our agenda today. What what next for 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 people watching this uh, who are curious about it or who want to uh, share their thoughts with you? How's this going to work kind of procedurally, so to speak? Absolutely. Thanks for that question. So since we are a public agency, we're following, we're kind of a hybrid. We're, we're, we're trying to figure out how we, um, uh, we operate where we get as many people involved, uh, but also do it totally in the open. Uh, in, in the course of the types of projects that the PUC traditionally does, we do them in rate bases, uh, rate, uh, we do them in dockets. Uh, and rate cases so that all of this is filed within a docket at the on the PUC website. We're doing the same thing. So we have a docket um, and uh, it, we are going to file everything within this docket at the PUC. And we're going to have a, a smart link on the main page of the PUC where it will take you straight to that docket um, and you can see what, what is going on. Um, we're going to have a meeting next Wednesday. Um, I'm, I'm happy to say that uh, we filed the, the uh, document today uh, to outline this meeting and you all the first to know. Um, so when this comes out uh, on Monday, it will be on, on Thursday of next week um, the after our open meeting in the afternoon. And we're going to lay out the structure that we've that we've come to an agreement on and roll that out and let people pick at it. Uh, we don't have pride of authorship. What we want to have pride in is the final outcome. So, you know, at, at, we want people to participate. And if we're putting in roadblocks for participation, then we have to change things. But we're, we're going to so we're going to have a, a uh, kind of an organizational meeting next week 
Um, and uh, and then we're going to really um, hopefully within five days or seven days after that, we're going to announce who we have really on this working group. And the working group should not be there to just uh, we, we want uh, 70 or 80 people working on this. This can't be the product of me and the PUC or just the working group. This has to be everybody bringing their views together so we can address them. So we're going to have uh, a series of public meetings uh, between October and April where we bring the major issues that we're going to try to address. So are there financial incentives that the state needs to uh, to consider? Um, if they are, will they be able to be paired with federal resources that can help mitigate risk on on these early projects? What is our market design? Um, how do we get the oil and gas industry involved in this? And what do they need to adopt this technology? Same thing with high technology and semiconductors. So there's a whole host, supply chain and workforce. We will be going through all of those that are, we're, we're going to be giving folks that opportunity uh, to speak, to come talk to us about this, to talk about solutions and problems. And then this docket, people are going to be able to file Anybody who wants to can file uh, very easily in this uh, in this docket or they can send it to me at the PUC and we'll get it put in there and they'll be part of the process. And, and Jimmy, this will be this is obviously a, a Texas launch, Texas sponsored. It's all about the future of Texas. But uh, to to comment, um, you know, I, I think I understand if you have a business here, you might have a business here. You just have something to share. Like you don't have to be a citizen of Texas to to make a comment here. Is that right? Uh, not at all. We, we are going to be uh, focused on uh, what laws, rules, structures we need to change in Texas or modify in Texas to make this the great place, the great place to build these reactors. But we don't know everything. A lot, most of these reactor companies are not even based in Texas. So getting them here, see, telling us what they're seeing around the world, telling, having other folks tell us what they're seeing and what they think might be successful is critically important for us to, to look at the whole universe of ideas, uh, the whole universe of problems, and then come to solutions. This is, uh, it's nuclear, but as I understand how you're thinking, it's not necessarily a, a certain size nuclear or a certain, you know, approach or technology because nuclear does have a number of different flavors right now. How, how do you think about that aspect of this? There's micro SMRs, you know, there's the, the big units, uh, the traditional units. You know, I think uh, what we're really thinking of is SMRs and micro uh, reactors. So um, we don't believe that Texas uh, Texas ratepayers will pay for a Vogel type plant, you know. So as this industry is maturing and looking down the road, uh, that's what we want to capture. Uh, that's what we've heard the industry wants to capture as well. So if oil and gas industry is looking at micro reactors, if NASA is looking at micro reactors, you know, if the high tech industry is looking at SMRs, how do we take what they need and make sure that our policies are um, not impeding the success of those uh, of those efforts. Jimmy, thanks for being on the show. It's uh, pretty enlightening already. But you know, one of the things I want to talk about is that you know, even if we go to the SMR and you know, micro micro reactors and stuff of that nature, we're talking minimum seven to eight, maybe even years or longer. And I think when people look at the state, what's gone on just this year with you know, really being on the brink of you know, just you know, on the power break. 
Right. What are we thinking about the next? Sometimes a really great plan looking at, you know, sort of the eight, next eight, 10 years is great. It all looks fantastic and it gets derailed because of what's going on right now. How are we going to be thinking about, you know, sort of the wedge between now and when those uh, those technologies are available, say 2035, 2037? Totally a great question. Um, don't have all the answers, but what my crystal ball says is we've got to have ERCOT involved because they're going to be around for a long time. So having them uh, help us look at market design and look at uh, transmission system is critically important for whatever we get in the end. In the short term, um, we're having obviously what the technology that's pro- that, that's proliferating. I think the quickest that it's similar is is batteries. Uh, we don't know how batteries in an aggregate uh, 10,000 megawatts are going to operate around our system. We're trying to learn that. Um, but what we do have is an aging fleet. So while we're going to be filling in some of these early retirements with batteries uh, and some of the, the peaks and valleys uh, between solar and wind with batteries, we do know that whether it be EPA regulations or just the the costs of some of these older plants is going to keep them uneconomic. So out of an 80,000 megawatt system, probably rising to 100 and 120,000 megawatts by 2035, um, we are going to have to fill in that gap with new technologies. So um, I, I feel confident that um, we're not just wasting our time now for a technology in 2035. There will be a place in our market for this type of technology. Jimmy, can I just tack on to that? Because I think where Mike is going, I agree, it's a great question. You might, to accommodate nuclear, I mean, who knows? Everything's, you're open for, for comment here. You might, to make nuclear work, decide that we need to make some other changes, you know, to the to the broader market. I don't, I don't I'm not presupposing that's the case, but it won't just be kind of in a, so, a silo. It'll be in the context of all our all of Texas's power. It, it will be, but I do think there is something different between uh, a wind, solar, and storage resource, and something that is a much higher capital cost early in the development process, that if the state makes the decision that we want them to be a part of our resource mix, they're willing to 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 make a uh, market design modification. Don't know what that is yet, but to accomplish that, because it's a bigger goal than just lower power prices in a competitive market. There's a lot of economic development uh, and stability, global stability to go to go with that. It, what, one more last point as well, to Jimmy, is I mean, a lot of developers you know we talk to, and in, in some of the you know some of these uh, talks that we have, it seems like everyone wants to talk about the generation part, but no one wants to talk about the backbone the transmission part. And I think that has to go hand in hand. And that really is, it's not back to the day where you had a thousand or 1500 megawatt system coming on. You have 30 here, 50 here, hundred here, all these different things. And it's, that's not easy to bring all this stuff on board. And so transmission has to be, you know, forefront of that, maybe even in front of that. Uh, how do you guys think about that? Well, uh, transmission is, uh, is kind of my bailiwick. I'm, uh, uh, an old transmission developer and, uh, you know, I believe that um, first and foremost, we need to be better stewards of our rights of way. So that means that we need to take our existing rights of way and get more out of them, whether that's with technology, higher capacity conductors using DC, HVDC technology. We have to find a way to move more power around the system 
Um, we've been working with ERCOT. Um, we, uh, we hope that uh, in the next few months, they will, uh, they will lay out a process uh, to be studying a, uh, a grid overlay that's higher capacity um, that would allow more power to move around the system and thus allow different regions to access lower cost power at any different time. So um, clearly transmission, transmission congestion has been a costly problem. We'll never eliminate it, but I think getting higher capacity lines, higher voltage lines, better use of our rights of way, that's what we need to be doing. That's what they do in, in the gas business. They don't dig up a pipeline and and uh, put you know a whole new pipe in there. For the most part, if you can if you can upgrade your compressors, you do that. So how do we do that in the power space? We need to learn from them, Commissioner. I think this is you know such an awesome you know endeavor and really cool discussion. But you know a lot of times when we start talking or folks start talking about nuclear and and deployment around nuclear a lot of the role or a lot of the entity that people talk to or focus more on is sort of the federal government's role rather than sort of the state government's role. And, you know, maybe we might all disagree and might, you know, think that this is an opportunity for, you know, commercial enterprises and state governments. But I, I think that you still probably recognize that there's a huge, you know, discussion point around the role of the federal government and how the federal government um, supports even, you know, aims within a state of the state of Texas. Could, so could you maybe elaborate on what you might envision around how the working group might interact or think around engagement around the federal government, whether it's the Department of Energy or the National Labs or the Nuclear Regulatory Commission or something maybe that we're not thinking about? Oh, great question. Um, I, I think it's fair to say that in these first rounds of reactors that are going to get built, uh, these SMRs, none of them are going to get built without federal government involvement and support, financial support. So um, we are not going to go this, go at it alone. Um, we are going to figure out what we can do uh, and how we can pair that with what the federal government can do. Um, we are not going to do the waste issue and we're not going to do the fuel issue here. Those we think are uh, on their way to uh, they're in the federal government realm and a state really can't do anything about them. Um, but when it comes to incentives, when it comes to um, how we get permitting done quickly, um, how we get uh, a a. a uh, how we get accepted as a state that really wants to have these reactors, that's what we got to do. So it's positioning. And when we talk to the Department of Energy and we talk to the nuclear office there, uh, we talk to the loan programs office, um, what we're trying to package for them is a commitment from our state that we want to build these resources. And five years into this endeavor, we're not going to stop it and go away. And they're going to have to <laughs> trade horses for another state that we are going to be in this and we're going to be in it for the long run and we're going to build these things here in this state. So if we can package that, they can accept it and they can be on board with us as a partner and we're going to be successful. And and Jimmy, just to clarify for everyone, when you said, you know, because I, I think this is an awesome perspective and an awesome way to think about working with the federal government and the role for states to kind of, you know, be, a, you know, an engine for change around this discussion. Um, you know, when you were mentioning the fuel issue, you were really specifically talking about, 
you know, uranium and enrichment and conversion and stuff like that. Folks and, and, and um, the supply chain side of like things that we already do in the United States around fuel and manufacturing and things, those are things that you're still interested in talking about and, see, and, and seeing more around, just more so this larger sort of international challenge around the enrichment uranium and conversion discussion, right? Yeah, I think it would be hard for the state of Texas to say we're going to solve the enrichment issue uh, for the United States or for just Texas. So we have to be involved in that and we will be involved in that. So will the companies that are here, uh, but from a different perspective. We don't have state laws that talk about uranium enrichment. Um, so is that something that we can modify? No. Uh, we're, we want to make this uh, not only a, a, uh, a power effort, we want this to be an economic development. We want the supply chain here. And I think there is a great, um, we have a great asset in our oil and gas supply chain already that does many of the exact same things that are needed in this nuclear space. So uh, if we can get federal dollars uh, to help them retool or to train them to do new things or to get certified by the NRC or or other entities in order to produce nuclear parts, that's where we want to go. So they will be primed for success into this industry going forward. So Jimmy, one question I had, I, I think this was all rolled out, you know, kind of roughly August 20th is when this was announced. So it, it you know, it, it, it hasn't been much time at all. Um, but uh, that was a heck of an announcement. I'm assuming you heard from a lot of people, got a lot of feedback, got a lot of phone calls. Is there anything you'd say about sort of the the feedback or commentary or just uh, whatever you've heard since since the governor uh, made this announcement? Well, I, I think I've heard. Uh, so I will say that uh, if I had a hundred. Uh, discussions with people, 99 have been positive and only one has not. And uh, and I knew that one was not um, because the person I asked, um, I've known him in Austin for a long time and and he was been anti-nuclear for, for 30 years. So he wasn't going to change his tune now, but we still need to ask those people why they uh, why they think that and they they have a voice as well. Listen, I think that um, we've got a great market and a great place to build these types of reactors and uh, to be a global uh, leader in this space. There are a lot of reactor companies that are looking for homes. Um, they want to uh, be in a state where the state is supportive of their efforts and uh, will uh, will help them be successful. I think we have a great track record of doing that, and uh, and we will do that in this space. Maybe I could ask you because I alluded to it in the in the beginning. You uh, you know you did some work with Spencer Abraham at DOE. You worked for uh, George Bush, um, thinking about energy policy when he was governor. And then you've had many many roles in industry. You've seen uh, the ebbs, the flows, uh, what's hot, what's not. H how do you think the current environment um, c compares to um, some of those previous environments? Like we're Power is the topic of the day. We're all worried about prices and, and reliability. And uh, of course, there's an overarching uh, environmental and national security agenda. But just how, how you've seen it all. And I guess I'm wondering how you think about the current world compared to the many different versions of the world you've seen. Well, I think what, uh, what we saw in the 2000s with the proliferation of, of electric markets is we saw economics really take hold. So you had new combined cycle plants 
uh, combustion turbines drive out the old steam boilers and the old coal plants. And, uh, and that's what happened in the market. So we saw the, 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 the old one inefficient plants be replaced. I think we've gotten away from economics as we've had more uh, intrusion from uh, the tax code. And, uh, and that has skewed the market. Um, but we can't let it skew the market forever because we still have to have reliable power. So um, we're, we're seeing tax credits, uh, whether they be for hydrogen or for renewable energy, create markets. And I, I fear that they're creating uh, markets that aren't sustainable forever. Um, so I just think we need to be careful with that. We need to um, uh, uh, keep our eye on that. Um, but we've we've seen a lot, and this is not the first transition uh, that we've seen in energy. Um, we've seen uh, we'll see more to come. I think uh, ultimately we may get to uh, you know everybody having a uh, micro reactor at their house next to their air conditioner. Who knows? But uh, that may be the uh, goal in uh, in uh, you know the next hundred years. One other question. So you know you're obviously on the Public Utility Commission. Uh, the PUC is talking about all kinds of issues. Uh, to Mike's point, we just we're not really through the summer yet, but we're we're um, you know we're largely uh, through it, and, and we've had some close calls on terms of power and such. What would you tell us just more broadly about the PUC? What you guys are talking about? What's happening? What's on your radar? Um, you know, just any any perspective from there would would be welcome. So we're really trying to. Um understand where we are. The legislature left, obviously, in May, and um, they passed a number of bills. Um, we're trying to piece together what the Public Utility Commission had already done, what the legislature has directed us to do, and fill in the gaps where we have problems. Uh, the gaps will be filled, I think, in the short term by demand response. Uh, so really getting the demand, um, the, the citizens of the state involved. What we have right now is uh, a program called ERS. Um, that's a demand response program for industrials. Uh, and then we have uh, ERCOT at many times, everybody knew that we had uh, calls for conservation. Well, they're really the same thing, except for when we call conservation, when we, when we make conservation calls to the general public, they're free. But when we give them to, to industrials in a, uh, in a program, we pay them for that. So figuring out how we make that mechanism available to general citizens who want to uh, reduce their demand during important times and get paid for it and how you aggregate that will be a, a very valuable piece as we go forward. Um, we've got transmission, we've got distribution things that we're working on. Uh, we're understanding how to uh, work with ERCOT and operate this system with more batteries and, and intermittent re renewables on the system. Um, it, it is a transition and, you know, I, I will, I'd be remiss if I didn't say the operators are doing a really good job. You know, they are the ones who have to sit and watch these days. Uh, my palms get sweaty. Uh, theirs must be, uh, you know, really, really sweaty, uh, on some of those days. Let me just say one more thing on that. We've made it for the most part through summer. Summer has historically been the challenging time in Texas, but as we go forward in the winter time, we are seeing another challenge, and that is the the amount of solar we have on our system. Uh, we have shorter days uh, in the summertime. That solar uh, is operating until seven thirty or eight o'clock at night. In the winter time, 
it's operating till five in the afternoon. Uh, so we have to make sure that uh, the demand and the supply are, are equal uh, during those uh, those winter evenings when people leave work and go home and the sun has already gone down. So, J- Jimmy, just a, a math question. If um, if we pay an industry to, to turn off when we really are short power, does that payment ultimately show up in a residential uh, bill, so to speak? Like who, who, who pays that tab? How, how do we, I know that's a little bit, it, it sounds it like. Does. Math. It, yeah. it does. There, there are a few programs that ERCOT manages that um, are uplifted, uh, as it's called, to all uh, consumers across the state. And mm-hmm. uh, those fees are paid for by everybody. So um, if we reduce the, the, the cost or re- we reduce reliability, um, you know, because of those uh, payments, um, sometimes I, I don't know what the calculus is, if it's a if it's a net even, it's a net wash. Um, but they do get up, uplifted to consumers and, and they're good programs because they're needed. Um, mm-hmm. when, when we get tight on power and the mm-hmm. industrials can reduce uh, 1,200 megawatts uh, in an afternoon, it's very valuable. It's valuable to the entire system, but they're not the only ones that can provide that service. So we're hoping that, you know, businesses, commercial industries and consumers can get into that business as well. So, uh, Jimmy, maybe just a, a personal question. This is uh, this is going to be a ton of work. It's it's going to be very stimulating. But it, wow, what a bunch of work! And and you're going to be leading and hearing from you know so many opinions. What what drew you to this just professionally? And, and you know, why did you get excited about doing this? Why did you say yes to the governor? Well, listen, I was uh, I didn't have a job at the time. Um, I had started a, a uh, antique business. Um, and, uh, I had, uh, worked on a project to, uh, help rebuild the, the power system in Puerto Rico. Uh, and then I left and, uh, this happened. Um, I had five days without heat. Um, and I thought, uh, my friends who worked in the governor's office, they knew that I'd been in the power business and worked at the department of energy and had built power plants, uh, that if I could provide some help, um, during that tough time that, uh, that I was, uh, willing to do so. I've been in and out of government. So, um, you know, providing that service, uh, I enjoy that. Uh, and it was the right time. Uh, and the governor selected me and I'm honored that he did. Well, and this, and that was the, the PUC. And then you got this, uh, you know, special mission, uh, on nuclear, which is going to you know, be one, uh, it's just a lot of work. It is a lot of work. Um, we, it's in addition to everything that we have going on at the PUC, and uh, but but we're going to get it done. We we know what uh, we have to do. Uh, we've got uh, an industry that's supportive of us. We've got a public utility commission staff that's supportive of us, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna come up with a good report and uh, and have a uh, a really good roadmap that uh, that I think other states are going to wish they had. Yeah, Jimmy. One of the things we always ask our uh you know, our participants here, our guests, it's like, what is the world going to look like in the next 10 years? And the reason I ask that is if you look at Texas growth over the last 15 years, it's been pretty phenomenal. But when I look at the growth from an industrial standpoint, from a population standpoint, people moving from other states, I think the next 10 or 15 years is going to be probably a little bit more you know, growthier than it has been. How do you guys think about that? What is the next 10 years like for you? You know, if, if we did something in the next 10 years, what would you say would be an accomplishment? 
Well, I think uh, obviously I, I would say with this nuclear that uh, we we have uh, plants either either on the ground operating or under construction here uh, within the next 10 years. Um, and that we have a development pipeline of multiple plants that will be cited here uh, to help with that load growth. I think we need um, in the transmission space, I think we need to have more transmission lines at higher voltages. So if we had uh, a plan or under construction, a higher voltage network of transmission lines around the state, uh, I think we would be in much better shape. And then on the distribution systems, we're going to have uh, to upgrade a lot of, of little devices so that uh, folks with electric vehicles can sell that uh, energy that is stored in that battery back to the back to the grid. And if we have those mechanisms in place, then what we're doing is we're helping the supply side, we're helping the transmission side, and then we're helping the demand side. And uh, and all of those three things together will work for a more economic and reliable system. Well, Jimmy, as we wrap up, I, I just have a couple of thoughts. One, like, thank you. I mean, it's exciting that we have people with your background and 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 vision and determination leaning in, uh, you know, trying to help on issues like this. Uh, the second one was, uh, since this is, uh, we really want to be uh, helpful to you. Maybe we just, as we wrap, go back to the exact details on what people need to know if they're interested and they want to reach out, want to share an opinion. Let me give you the, the final word here. Great. Well, thank you. So I, I want to say that uh, we're going to have our, our first public workshop uh, for the Advanced Nuclear Working Group um, Thursday, September 28th at 2 p.m. Central Time in Austin at the Public Utility Commission. Uh, that's 1701 North Congress. Um, everybody is welcome. Uh, it will also air on um uh, if you go to the, the Texas Public Utility Commission website, there will be a link as for you to see it online as well. Um, also, keep in touch with us uh, either through my office, uh, where you can find my email on the website, um, or there will be a link uh, to our nuclear advanced nuclear working group on the main page of the public utility website. It's under development right now, but in the next couple of days, I expect it to be available. Uh, and there you can find uh, everything that's going on, all the meetings that we're going to have, provide opportunities for input and discussion. Well, we're really excited about it, too. I think we, um, <clears throat> uh, Brad, of course, is our, our nuclear lead, but uh, the rest of us keep thinking uh, the world could use a, a Hyman Rickover type. And it seems like in Jimmy Gladfelty, we just found one. So. Wow. So glad you're doing this. That's a, that's a high bar, um, but uh, we're, we're going to get the policy right so that these uh, these types of reactors can be built in our state. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Jimmy. Thanks, everybody, and, thank and you please all. tune in.